It's time to be equipped with spiritual battle. Defending the Faith is a show to train Christians worldwide to be effective teachers and speakers on the subject of biblical creation so that the next generation can stand firm on the biblical truth and defend their faith. Now here is your host of Defending the Faith, Mike Riddle. Welcome to Defending the Faith. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, and we come to you from KBXL 94.1 FM radio here in Boise, Idaho. And we have a website called creationtraining.org. That's creationtraining, all one word, dot org. And our ministry is called Creation Training Initiative. And we're all about training others, Christians, how to defend your faith, especially against the teachings of evolutionism and moral relativism. Well, our show today is called, Is Creation a Secondary Doctrine? So is creation a secondary doctrine? I often hear Christians say, creation is a secondary doctrine, and we need to focus on the major doctrines. Now, many who make this claim are really unable to give a good biblical reason for distinguishing between a major and a minor doctrine, but they still make the claim without thinking through. We must remember, though, that all Scripture is from God, and all of it is good for teaching. We read in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Right there, folks, it says, All Scripture is good for teaching. That means pastors out there, you are told and commanded to teach all of Scripture, which means the creation account. Now, Wayne Grudem, Ph.D. and professor of systematic theology, defines the difference between a minor doctrine and a major doctrine this way, quote, a major doctrine is one that has a significant impact on our thinking about other doctrines or has a significant impact on how we live the Christian life. A minor doctrine is one that has little impact on how we think about other doctrines and very little impact on how we live the Christian life. That's right from his Systematic Theology Biblical Doctrine textbook. Now, what does that tell us? We need to be teaching all of Scripture, and there might be a difference between some doctrines. So we need to look at Genesis. Since the words in Genesis are inspired by God, again, we are commanded to teach all of them. But does the creation account in the first three chapters of Genesis have a major impact on other parts of Scripture. Now, when we examine the rest of Scripture, we will see that the mention of creation, the allusion to creation, or the reference to the events during the creation week are numerous and important to understanding the doctrine of God and His works. In other words, I want to show you today that anybody out there making that claim that creation is not an important doctrine, don't know the scriptures. So let's go through this. Let me go through multiple reasons why this is an important issue to be teaching in our churches. And I'm really talking about the first three chapters of Genesis. Even more than that, even the first 11 chapters of Genesis must be taught in our churches, and I'm going to show you why using just the Bible. Let's start with number one. First, creation is God's first miracle. If we can't accept the plain reading of the first miracle, creation in six literal days, then why would we accept other miracles in the Bible? 
On what authority would we accept any other miracle in the Bible if we can't believe God's first miracle in Genesis chapter 1? So there's the first reason. Second, creation is the very foundation for the gospel. Without the historical account in the first three chapters of Genesis, we cannot have a full understanding of the gospel. This makes it imperative that we start teaching it. You see, at the first, in the first three chapters of Genesis, we learn about why we need a Savior, why there is death and suffering, why Jesus had to conquer death, what we need to be saved from called the doctrine of sin, the very first promise of victory and a Savior, and many other items. In other words, understanding the good news of the gospel depends on what happened in the first three chapters of Genesis. This is why we have many people sitting in church today that do not understand the gospel because it's not being taught in the churches. Yes, they might teach the core of the gospel, that Jesus Christ, God, came down to this planet as a man, suffered and died on that cross, and was raised again on the third day. But why did he have to do that? That's what we need to be teaching in our churches. And unless you understand and believe the first three chapters of Genesis, you don't have a full gospel. Let's go to reason number three. Creation determines our view of the very character of God and who he is. For example, he is all-powerful and all-knowing. Only he can create out of nothing. He is the creator of all things. Therefore, he sets the standards for all aspects of life and our salvation. He is a perfect God. His works are perfect. We see that in Genesis 1.31, where he called his entire creation very good. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, it tells us the works of God are perfect. He is the sovereign ruler over all his creation, the doctrine of sovereignty, the value of human life. We were created in his image and likeness. No other creature was. So we find about the character of God, who he is, what he's like, and what are his standards. Fourth, the creation account establishes the doctrine of marriage. Jesus in Mark 10 made a reference to the first chapters of Genesis as real history when he defined marriage to be between one man and one woman. So right there are just four reasons. It's his first miracle. It's the foundation for the gospel. We need to understand the first three chapters to understand who God is, and it is the foundation for marriage. Now, fifth, how we interpret the creation account sets the criteria for understanding many other parts of Scripture without a proper application of hermeneutics. Now, what is hermeneutics? That's the interpretation of written language. It's a method of interpreting Scripture. So without a proper application of hermeneutics in Genesis, the rest of the Bible becomes a matter of everyone's personal interpretation. We must hold to a proper understanding of God's Word and not add to it or subtract from it. See, a proper understanding is guided by the following standards. Context. See, context matters. We're not to take God's word out of context. Those we should not change the meaning to conform to the world. For example, God used the word day. And remember, all scripture is God-breathed. It is not a matter of man. It is God-breathed. God used men to pen it down, but God gave them the information. So context matters. In Genesis chapter 1, God used the word day. 
What does it mean? Well, the word day, yom in the Hebrew language, Y-O-M, can have different meanings. But it doesn't matter they can have different meanings. What matters is what does it mean in Genesis chapter 1? And God defines the day to be a literal day. He puts a number with the word day. Everywhere in the Old Testament, we have a number with the word day. It only means a day, never a long period of time. God defined his days. He had evening and morning around each day. That gives each day a definite beginning and a definite ending, evening and morning. Everywhere in the Old Testament, we see the words evening and morning. It only means a day, never anything else. God even wrote down in the Ten Commandments on the clay tablets. He wrote this himself. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, all that is in them. Is there any doubt the word day means anything else other than a literal day? Context matters. Secondly, the explicit constrains the implicit, part of hermeneutics. In other words, if something is explicitly stated, it takes precedence over anything that might be implied. And in Genesis chapter 1, God explicitly chose the word day, not some other word for long periods of time. And then the whole purpose of communication. God wrote his word not to be a source of confusion, but that it could be understood. Genesis chapter 1 is not poetry. It is written in the narrative form, and God chose specific words so there'd be no doubt that his creation was six literal days. Now, six, sixth reason why creation is important doctrine. The creation account teaches us how evil was introduced into God's perfect creation. We have the rebellion of Satan and the fall of Adam and Eve. That's how it got introduced. God's creation started perfect, Genesis 1.31, meaning there was no death, no corruption. It was a perfect creation. Then we had the fall of Satan, but God did not curse his creation because of what Satan did. He cursed his creation because of what Adam and Eve did. Because of Adam and Eve's fall, because of their rebellion, their disobedience, sin, God placed a curse on all of creation, and part of that curse was death. There was no death before sin. Now, seventh, a seventh reason why creation is an important topic to discuss in the church, why it is not a secondary doctrine. So number seven, the creation account introduces us to the doctrine of free will. In other words, Adam and Eve willfully chose to disobey God. This answers the question, if God is all-powerful, why didn't he stop Adam from sinning? Because he gave us the free will to choose to obey or not to obey him. He did not make us puppets. In other words, he wants us to love him. If he made us puppets, if he controls everything we do, then there is no such thing as love. Because what is love? We're, we're not doing it because we love him. We're obeying him because he commanded us to. We have no other option. In other words, there is no love then. But he gave us the free will to love him or to reject him. So that's number seven. 
Now, number eight, why this is a very important doctrine, the creation account. The New Testament authors treat the first chapters of Genesis as real history. All four Gospels mention the creation account. John chapter 1, verse 3, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, and Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 teach that God created all things. There were just five references stating explicitly God created all things. That means there is no room for the evolution of stars. There's no room for the evolution of life. When I'm talking evolution here, I'm not talking about variety within kind. That is not evolution. We're talking about amoeba to man or a reptile evolving into a bird. That's what we're talking about here. There is no room for that in the Bible unless you do not believe God's word, that he is the creator of all things. All five of those references reinforce the little creation account in Genesis chapter 1. Then in Mark 10, verse 6, Jesus teaches the earth is young. In other words, Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, he is also the one who called everything into existence. He is the creator What did he say in Mark 10, verse 6? From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. What is Jesus telling us? He is telling us right there that man and woman were on this planet from the very beginning of creation. Every chapter of Genesis, except chapters 20, 24, 34, 36, 40, 43, and 44, is mentioned in the New Testament. In other words, there's only seven chapters of Genesis that don't mention creation. And then creation and the fall are woven into the entire theology of the book of Romans. God's power is revealed through his creation, and men are condemned because they do not recognize or receive him as God, our creator and savior. For example, we read in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, because what may be known of God is manifested in them, For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Now get this last part. So that they are without excuse. There is no such thing as an innocent native on this planet. God has put put in our heart of hearts, everybody who has ever lived on this planet, in their heart of hearts, that there is a creator God, and there's no excuse for not believing. Then the first three chapters of Genesis are the very reason the rest of the Bible had to take place. This is critical, folks. The first three chapters of Genesis is the reason the entire rest of the Bible had to take place. In other words, after Genesis 3, the rest of Scripture is about God's plan of redemption and restoration. If we don't fully understand the literal meaning in the first three chapters of Genesis, how will we fully understand his subject of redemption? Now, we must understand the historical account of the first three chapters of Genesis. We must understand them also to understand the book of Revelation. We see the theme in the bookends. 
Genesis and Revelation, Paradise Lost and Paradise Restored, the two bookends. What do we see in these two chapters? Well, let's see what we lost and see what we gained back in the book of Revelation. In Genesis, the curse is announced, but in the book of Revelation, the curse is removed. In Genesis, we see that we have to toil for food because of our rebellion, but in Revelation, there is an abundance of food. In Genesis, there is death for all because of sin. But in the book of Revelation, there is no more death. In Genesis, we have to wear coats of skin because of our rebellion. In Revelation, we are given clean linen. In Genesis, the tree of life is denied because of our sin. Revelation, the tree of life is supplied. In Genesis, we are banished from paradise. In Revelation, we receive entrance into heaven. In Genesis, redemption is promised. In Revelation, redemption is accomplished. In Genesis, evil is everywhere. In Revelation, evil is excluded. In Genesis, angels block the way because of a rebellion. In Revelation, angels show the way. Do you see the difference? If we can't understand the first chapters of Genesis, how will you ever understand the book of Revelation. See, if Genesis is not real history, then did Jesus die for something that never really happened? And why does everything have to be restored? How do you answer that question if you don't believe the first three chapters are real history? See, without a literal historical understanding of Genesis, the significance of the book of Revelation becomes harder to comprehend, as does the rest of the Bible, including the gospel. It loses its importance as a message of hope, relevance, and meaning. And finally, number nine, the creation account is under attack by the world. The teaching of evolution has caused many in the church to stumble and lack confidence in the Bible. Today, about 70% of our Christian youth are leaving the church because they lack confidence in God's word. They are confused about what to believe. The biblical account of creation are billions of years in evolution. If parents, Christian schools, and the church do not teach the biblical account of creation, our youth will continue to lack trust in the Bible. Parents and pastors, we have the responsibility to warn our youth about false teachings and then equip them to defend their faith. We see that in many books in the Bible. For example, in the book of Titus, Paul states very clearly that one of the qualifications to be an elder, and incidentally, pastors are elders, it's another name, Paul states that one of the qualifications to be an elder is that they must know how to teach and refute false doctrines, and that includes evolutionism. That is a mandate to be an elder in a church. Know how to defend your faith against false doctrine. We read this in Titus, where it states, in Titus 1, 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Right there, folks, for all elders, they are supposed to know how to refute false doctrines. This means it is the responsibility of every pastor to train their congregation against the teachings of of evolution and moral relativism. 
not just ignore it because some people in the church might believe the earth is billions of years old, and they might call you names or think you're not smart, folks. It's not a matter of being smart. It's a matter of wisdom and God's word. Pastors, you must, I'm going to repeat this, you must, pastors, know how to refute this false doctrine using Scripture and then get people in your church trained to teach it from a scientific viewpoint so that we can show that the true science does not support evolutionism but supports God's literal account of creation in six literal days and a worldwide flood. So Titus 1.9 teaches that. Likewise, in 1 Peter 3.15, we have a mandate for all Christians to have the responsibility to know how to defend their faith, where it states, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. All Christians, as part of our faith, we are told to know how to defend that faith. It was the greatest thing, I believe one of the greatest things we can teach our youth. Every high school student needs to know this. Every junior higher needs to know this. Every college student needs to know this. And that is three things. To know the full gospel, which starts in Genesis. To know how to share that full gospel. And to know how to defend that gospel. That is the greatest thing any youth pastor can teach their students. That is the greatest thing any Christian school teacher can teach their students. To know the gospel, to be able to share the gospel, and to be able to defend the gospel. So our conclusion on this, the creation account is a very important doctrine and must be taught without compromise. It is the foundation for the Christian worldview and it is the foundation for the very gospel of Jesus Christ. This has been Defending the Faith, and I'm Mike Riddle. We have a website if you want to get in touch with us. Our website is creationtraining.org. All one word, creationtraining.org. You'll find many things on, on that website, including this talk that I have just done, all scripted out. It's going to be on our website by tomorrow. Also on our website, we have over 80 short videos, 30-minute videos that you can watch all for free. Even my own PowerPoint slides that I use for many of my talks when I travel around the country and around the world, they're on our website free to download. All that is out there for you. We are here to help you know how to defend your faith. We also have courses if you'd like to invite us into your church or organization or school. We have one-day courses. They can be modified to half a day or full day or even longer. One of the courses is called Basic Creation Training. It is for teens and above. It will train you on how to t understand God's creation in the first three chapters. It will help you understand that there really was a worldwide flood, how to do some critical thinking skills, ask, answer basic questions, defending your faith, and how evolution fails scientifically. All that will show you in a one-day course. We also have a one-day advanced apologetics course for high school students and above. There we get to some more details. We go into more critical thinking skills, how to turn the situation around and put the other person on the defense, 
how to answer questions. Can you show me any evidence for the existence of God? We have overwhelming evidence for the existence of God. But the evolutionists are in big trouble when you ask them the question, where did the matter come from to create this universe? They cannot adequately answer that question. We have a a training course just for Christian teachers, a one-day course called Christian Teacher Training. Talks all about the Bible and how does the Bible say we should teach. It's very different what you learn even in many of the Christian university teacher colleges. So three one-day courses there. We also have a five-day course. If you're interested in learning how to teach this in your church or in your Christian school, you need to look at this course. You need to attend this course. It's a five-day course called our Creation Apologetics Teachers College. That five-day course, we only hold it once a year. This year, it will be in Glorieta, New Mexico, at the conference center there. It is a wonderful conference center. It's just outside Santa Fe, New Mexico. That will be in August this year, August 14th through the 19th, a five-day course. You can find out more about that course, the contents of the course, what it cost by going to our website, creationtraining.org. That's creationtraining.org. Also, if you'd like to get a hold of me via email, you can email me at info, that's I-N-F-O at creationtraining.org. I-N-F-O at creationtraining.org. Or you can go to our website. That's how you can get a hold of us. We need to get teachers trained. We need to get the teachers trained so they can teach in their churches and in their Christian schools. So we have one-day courses, we have a five-day course, and we will come to your location to deliver these courses. And again, this is Mike Riddle. This has been Defending the Faith on KBXL 94.1 FM Radio. Next week, we have a very controversial topic again. Is the Big Bang compatible with the Bible? We'll take a look at what the Bible teaches and what we know scientifically about the Big Bang. I want to thank you, and God bless. And don't forget our website, creationtraining.org. That's all for today's show. Defending the Faith airs each Saturday at noon right here on KBXL 94.1 The Voice. For more teachings and resources, visit creationtraining.org or the program archive page on 941thevoice.com.